New Zealand Vegan Podcast, episode 52. I'm your host, Elizabeth Collins, and this week I wanted to discuss something that I'm still learning about, but um, somebody had asked me this question um, with regard to advocacy, abolition, and um, dealing with um, questions from people, um, because unfortunately the abolitionist approach was basically uh, silenced in as much as it could as they attempted to silence it by the welfare uh, um, by the welfare movement which is a real shame um, I'm finally reading Rain Without Thunder and uh, you know I really recommend reading this book it's you've got to read this book if, if you have any questions please read this book and if you are in any way if you've read anything by Gary Francione on his blog, or if you're one of those people who follow him on Twitter and you just have a look at a tweet and then just want to, like, challenge him on the tweet, before you do so, I recommend reading Rain Without Thunder. It's it's an incredible book. And um, I'm learning so much. But, you know, I was convinced by the logic and the effectiveness of abolitionist advocacy before I read the book because... It's, you know, it's pretty clear to me. Um, It just makes sense to me. But the question that I was asked and that I deal with and that at first I didn't quite know how to handle, well, I mean, Professor Francione has has dealt with this question on my show before. And my first interview with him, I said, look, you know, people ask, what do you do about the animals that are suffering now? La, la, la. Well, we're not all experts. We don't all have the history that Professor Francione has and the facts and figures at our fingertips. We should learn. We should get those facts and figures at our fingertips. But as a basic theory, um, I learned a lot from listening to the debate with Eric Marcus because in the debate with Eric Marcus, they talk about the Sauerkraut campaign and um, they talk about the industry and how there's so many loopholes and it isn't even going to be um, Smith Smithfield, or I think it's the name of the of the one of the companies. Isn't even doesn't even have to begin to even implement anything until 2010, which is now. I'd be very curious to know, was it 2015? You see, the bottom line is when somebody says to you, if a welfare advocate says to you, you are not thinking about the benefits to the animals that are suffering now. You got to challenge them on on the actual practicalities. First of all, they need to know if they're pushing this reform that they, you know, and I put that in virtual quotes, you know, reform, right? Like reforming torture. I mean, the bottom line is, if you think that animals have a right not to be used, you should say that. And anything less is speciesist. But let's just say we're dealing with somebody who thinks that. That's unrealistic, and we're ignoring the animals that are suffering now. We have to deal with this, you know, this question, which we do on a daily basis, actually. Um, I learned a lot from, like I say, listening to the debate with Eric Marcus. I'm learning a lot by reading Rain Without Thunder. But even before then, just from listening to the debate with Eric Marcus, I learned to question the actual legislature. Ask the person. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm, you know, I had a very, um, I had an argument with somebody about the, um, in New Zealand, they're doing the sauerkraut campaign. And, um, in fact, recently they've just released some draft of it, which means they don't even have to do anything until 2017. And 
they can still keep them in the crates for 20 weeks out of the gestation period. And it's just, just ridiculous. They just don't even understand that it's always going to be on the side of the farmers. It's always going to be on the side of the producers. Animals are property. The property interests are not protected because they're property. The interest of the property owners is protected. It's a multi-million dollar industry because people keep buying pork. So if you tell, if you go to somebody and say, look, first of all, do you know the ins and outs of the legislature that you're pushing? Because they take it as gospel when their when they're sort of welfare group leaders tell them, oh, you know, this is really important legislature. They say, we, we're an animal rights group. We care about animals. And they're not animal rights, right? Because it's not the same thing. But they say that. And then they say, go out and tell everybody, please hand out these flyers and help us promote this. And they convince their advocates that this is helping animals that are suffering right now, today. And there's this happy vision of all of these, for example, in New Zealand, of all of these pigs who can turn around and who can touch their babies who, and who you know, can dig in the straw and who can dig in the dirt and who are living these free lives, you know, before they get horrifically slaughtered, which never gets mentioned, right? bottom line is it hasn't even begun to happen yet it's not helping the pigs that are suffering today so ask the person you know respectfully say do you know the legislature that you're promoting what are the loopholes what is the leg- do you even know and if you don't know then you better find out because you're going to be you know that's dishonest you're pushing something you don't even know i mean we all empirically know that animals are sentient and that they have a right not to be killed so as an animal rights advocate i don't need a i don't need like a um a legislature to say that that that's it's it's so much easier to push abolition you don't need you know lawyer speak and with regard to that basic right the basic right not to be used as a means to an end because you're sentient i mean with regard to implementing property laws yeah we are going to have to figure that out once we get more vegans but in the meantime that's an unarguable argument once you get to the nitty-gritty but when you're pushing these welfare reforms, they don't even know the legislature that they're pushing. These people have no idea that it isn't helping animals that are suffering today. It's not helping them. Not helping them. And then, as Roger Yates um, wrote on a, on a forum that I was involved in, where we were discussing this with somebody, and I learned a lot from that, was that, well, first of all, the freedom food scandal is like a huge, um, you know, just, just t- send people there. But what he said was, basically... You you know, they're spending all this money, I think he used compassion and world farming, they spend all this money and time implementing these supposed reforms and these supposed um, demands and these supposed uh, controls, or whatever you want to call them, of the industry, of the property, you know, which in itself is, is pointless, but, you know, let's say that, you know, we're, we're trying to get through to somebody who's just, just sort of hasn't even kind of, you know, gotten beyond this whole, you know, let's help them today at the very least kind of thing, right? And um, they spend all this time and money and all this advocacy time fighting against the property owners who have all the rights, okay? Um, and then um, then they spend tons and tons of, of time and money and, and, and manpower and whatever um, trying to enforce these lo- these atrocities. These atrocities, I mean, you know, we're talking about massive slaughter on an industrial scale. I, I often say to the people who are coming to me and saying, you know, you're heartless and, and, and basically you th- you just want to abandon animals to their fate. I say, are you the one who's going to all these farms? Are you making sure that this legislature that you're getting behind, and I think it's immoral anyway to promote anything less than abolition, but you're getting behind, are you going there and making sure this is being you know, implemented? You know, why are you even trusting that they're going to do it for one thing? I mean... 
you're taking you slaughter on an industrial scale atrocity it's an atrocity you can't regulate atrocities and um so like roger said on this post you know you spend all this time and money and then you spend all this time and money trying to enforce the legislature that you've imposed the animals are not being helped now it's 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 a fact but what does help animals is changing the way people fundamentally look at them it's the most important thing that we need to do it's the most important thing that we need to do when racist white people in the United States of America realized that black people african people that they were enslaving were actually equally in the as morally should be considered in the same moral standpoint as them then that's when everything changed that's when you got the backing that's when you were able to do stuff now i don't support violence and i think that um welfare reforms are useless but the bottom line is we're only 1% of the population and there's a very good reason for that we're going to continue to be 1% of the population and the entire rest of the population is going to be dominated by quote conscientious omnivores unquote unless we begin to challenge that fundamentally in everything that we do that will help animals it will we need more vegans i've said this i've said this so many times before but i you know i've it's hard to know what to do with with this question because people come to you and ask you it and you know listen to the interview with gary listen to gary frenchian's interview my my interview with him which i think was episode 13 the first time i ever interviewed him and i said you know gary what about all these people who say what about the animals that are suffering now and he said i've said it so many times you know they're not being helped well a way to sort of get these people to really think about it on a fundamental level is say you know first of all do you know what legislature it is that you're pushing have you even read it do you even know it and if you do examine the loopholes you know think about it logically i mean you know how corrupt everything is if there's a loophole that says the sows can be kept in the crates if deemed necessary well geez you've basically they can just turn around and say it was necessary and they're going to do it and if you don't think that you're really deluding yourself um and then say to them and say your first of all, and when's it going to be implemented when is it going to be implemented we've had 15 years of this advocacy in new zealand for these sow crates 15 years of non-vegan advocacy for these sow crates nothing has been done and now they've discovered through a leaked draft that nothing is going to be done till 2017 and the animal groups are crying foul and saying oh this is terrible oh this is terrible and all this time and energy and he's getting on tv and everything and um what's he talking about he's talking about how it's cruel it's cruel to keep sows in sow crates that doesn't help animals because all use of them is cruel so you're differentiating and you're it's just wrong it's the wrong thing to do so then so then you challenge the people do you know when it's going to be implemented and and um do you actually know the facts and figures behind this legislature that you are putting all your heart and soul behind and you are going to people and telling people that it's humane and that they should do it because it's humane i think that that you really need to take a look at that that's why i tell people and then i say number 3 who's going to regulate it are you do you trust them to regulate it you know 
Are you going to go to every single farm and make sure that these, you know, welfare reforms are being regulated, that the sows are being kept out of the out of the crates? I mean, it's, even if they aren't, it's still immoral what we're doing to them. But this is within the paradigm of, uh, you know, the welfareist point of view that, well, you know, as long as we're using animals, it's do it humanely, which is just so wrong-headed anyway. So anyway, that, that, that would be my advice to people. Um, those three points, it helps me anyway. It's helped me. I mean, what generally happens is you say those to people, and they get very angry, and they come back, and they say random things that don't make any sense. We're spending all this time and money on this sour crate campaign, and it's useless, and it's not helping the pigs at all. And we could be spending all of that time and money on promoting veganism and waking people up to the moral personhood of non-human animals. And I also want to give a shout-out to... Professor Gary Steiner, who went on Animal uh, Animal World, which is run by Supreme Master Television, and talked about it's our moral obligation to go vegan. The dialogue is changing. That is the kind of thing that we all need to be saying. You know, it's all been focused on treatment. So if if somebody does try to confront you, you know, learn a little bit about the. You know, unfortunately, you kind of have to get into this whole nasty sort of world of property owners and their their lawsuits and things like that. But if you want to successfully convince somebody to um, promote abolition, which I think is a very important thing to do, uh, we need to wake them up to the realities because people aren't thinking straight about it and they're also not doing their own research and they're also implicitly trusting the animal welfare groups that they work for or that they volunteer for, and they're unquestioning. They don't question them. We need people questioning them. Um, we need them to be questioned because they've been getting away with it for far too long, in my humble opinion. Um, there's somebody that I haven't shouted out yet, and it's a long time coming, and I really want to do it today. I want to um, spend a little bit of the show today, and that's Live Vegan, and the name is Live L-I-V-E vegan, all one word, and or you could probably call it live vegan, um, but it always looks to me like live vegan, but I talked to um, Trisha who created the YouTube channel and who created the live vegan um, Facebook group, and she's a wonderful abolitionist advocate, and she said, it's sort of basically however you want to say it, she doesn't have any preference, so live vegan, live vegan, whatever, but there's these wonderful videos that, that she's made on YouTube, and they've been around for ages, and I'm sure a lot of people know about them, and also a Facebook group that's called Live Vegan, and on that Facebook group, there's, it's, it's an abolitionist group, and um, there's a bunch of us who are involved, um, I haven't done as much work on it as other people have, um, but um, it's basically to promote abolition, and um, there's a lot of opponents and there's a lot of you know debates and things that go on there, but it's a really worthwhile group. But I just recommend, I'm going to post a link, I really recommend subscribing to Live Vegan on YouTube and watching the videos. Um, they're beautifully done. I think that a lot of it is filmed by um, Trisha herself, who lives in a beautiful neck of the woods. And they're peaceful, there's no slaughter involved. There are quotes, there are quotes from abolitionist advocates um, you know, just there, there are themes to each video, but it's a, they're very effective, but they're very also very peaceful. Um, I find that 
those are the kinds of things that I'm more comfortable promoting and I think that people will watch and one of the things I liked about the animal world um, the uh, animal world one, uh, video that um, Gary Steiner was on recently um, they show they, they show all kinds of beautiful living peaceful animals it's not all slaughter footage and horrific footage the bottom line is people turn away from that um, most people and it does it does work in some respects in some respects but not you know I really I really do prefer as an advocate and this is just myself prefer videos and footage of animals that are living and that are um, in their in their beauty in their element um, you can see their eyes you know with the light the life in their eyes and you can see them moving and the wonderful ways that they move whether they are a bird that's flying or a four-legged um, you know animal that's running or galloping or or whatever their beautiful natural state is I think that those are things that we need to do and a lot of people don't get uh, uh, to see the animals they eat um, alive <laughs> you know they don't get to see them um, they just buy the uh, packages from the supermarket um, so I really do support those kinds of videos so I've been meaning to do this for the longest time I'm gonna post a link uh, I do recommend sharing these videos with people they um, there's some really great music on there as well I'm not sure if it was composed by um, the creators of the videos but um, those are the kinds of you know, and there's these, there's these quotes on there which are such relevant quotes, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we need to be saying to people. And, um, and we're starting to say it, and the dialogue is changing. And you're seeing these articles now coming out, and, you know, I'm still beginning, so there's lots and lots going on. Uh, but from what I can see, and I'm pretty much glued to the internet, which I'm going to try to wean myself off of because I'm going back to school on Monday and I'm going to and I have an abolition I have a vegan I have an animal rights group um, that I've start that I've started I'll talk a little bit about that but um, the dialogue is changing because now you have people writing articles about animal use and there's articles coming out about veganism there's articles articles coming out attacking veganism because there's going to be defense there's going to be defense mechanisms involved and we you know that's just natural but finally the dialogue is changing away from treatment of property to whether or not we have a right to use them and the fact that they shouldn't be property at all that's very very important things are changing they really really are and the more people we get like um, any abolitionist advocate and people like Gary Steiner who says I'm not a he says I'm not a uh, an, an activist he's a professor but boy when he gets on a video he says what's up you know he, he says it whereas you get these other um, so-called um, that are people who are sort of like um, being adopted as supposed activists like Jonathan Farr who wrote a book about food animals and he's not even vegan and he talks about um, you know sustainable like locally farmed meat and stuff like that and then you get people like him being lauded all over the place by vegan advocates as like the voice for veganism and then you get somebody like Gary Stone who's just a professor that's the person we should be lauding that's the statement we should be lauding and if you're vegan and if you think it's wrong that we use animals then you should be saying it too 
Um, I just want to talk a little bit about my university group, which I'm hoping is going to take off this year because it's my last year. I did start out, I talked a little, a little bit about with Corey, who's, who's got a lot of experience doing um, groups in school and stuff. And I started out as the abolitionist vegans group. And um, I didn't get any any responses except for two people. Um, one of them, um, Pravin, is helping me now, actively helping me to develop the group. He's going to school, we'll be going to school next year, we won't be in the same classes, but he's going to be there. And he advised me because he's, you know, bright and he says, look, you know, marketing is important. He said, look, you know, I know that we need to promote veganism. I know that that's what needs to be done. But he said, the bottom line is because it's been so marginalized, um, it didn't attract anybody, did it? And I said, you know, I have to admit, you're right. And Corey had said that to me. She said, give it a go, but if it doesn't work, change it to animal rights. Because animal rights, as far as I'm concerned, means veganism. And I want people to associate animal rights with veganism. In fact, I demand that they do. So I changed the group to the AUT Animal Rights Club. AUT being the university, Auckland University of Technology. And I am hoping... And it does talk about veganism, of course, and um, but it talks about veganism and animal rights, whereas the abolitionist vegans group was probably a concept because it's only just coming here to New Zealand and it's something that I'm trying to build up here. Um, it just people maybe just walked past and it didn't register with them. That's fine, you know. I'm willing to ad adapt, but I'm certainly not going to do anything about vegetarianism or happy meat, you know what I'm saying, or welfare. So I've changed the group and I've actually started a web page and thank you so much William, William Paul for helping me with the web page. Um, he did all the design, I've been going in there and writing a bunch of stuff and um, he's been helping me do the web page and um, Pravin is helping as well and we're going to get this thing off the ground because I'm hoping that I start this animal rights group and as long as they have a clear knowledge from the get-go that this animal rights group means you know, animal rights means veganism, but I want people to come in who care about animal rights because if you care, a lot of people care about animal rights and they're not vegan because they just don't know yet or they've been told, only told about treatment or they've only been taught about treatment. So, you know, it's an, I want it to be an educational resource for people, young people, to learn about this so that they can go out in their lives and be, be vegan and be advocates for rights. And if they don't want to, um, you know, be an actual activist as long as they're clear on their moral obligation to animals and the fact that it's so easy to fulfill that moral obligation basically as Gary as Gary Steiner did mention you know there are other things we have to consider packaging pollution of the products we consume whether you're vegan or not but he said the basic most sort of fundamental first step is veganism which is what Gary Francione has been saying all along and which is what we all agree um, I want these young people to sort of be introduced to that. So I'm tr I'm giving it another go. I had actually given up on it, um, I'm ashamed to say. But coincidentally enough, I got an email the other day from someone who'd seen the abolitionist vegans group, which still hasn't been changed yet because they're, they haven't updated it yet, even though I, I've asked the people at AUT to please um, replace the group information with my new group information. And she responded to the abolitionist vegans group and she's vegan and she happens to be bilingual as well and speaks Spanish so she can help me. Um, I believe it's her first language so she can help me with my Spanish um, with my Spanish stuff. At the moment my new one's only in English. But you know I really do have hopes for this group. Um, you know live and learn. I mean I, maybe I should have just done animal rights last semester but that's okay. Um, that's that's okay. I'm not worried about it. We're just we just got to sort of roll with it. And so she's um, she's joined. Well, she did email me. I sent her the new group updates. I'm hoping that she will <laughs> continue to consider it. Um, I don't know. I haven't heard from her. 
and um, and we're still continuing with our str- with uh, the street stall, the abolitionist street stall, and you know we've still got Sam's podcast and Jordan's podcast. So you know things are starting to happen. Um, I'll I'll post a link to my AUT abolitionist vegans. Oh, whoops, I keep saying that. My AUT um, animal rights group web page. It's it's a work in progress. Um, I do want to do a fact on nutrition. And um, I'm hoping that um, to get those things done, um, and uh, I'll post it there, and hopefully, you know, it's well done, and people will respond. Um, I don't, I don't mind any constructive criticism. If you have any constructive criticism on the website, please let me know. Please just email me. Um, just say, hey, I looked at your website, and I think that. This may be, you know, I don't know. I'm always open to ideas. Um, and so I'll go ahead and post those links. And so I really hope that um, I made, I helped, you know, that's how I really hope that I, I approached this sort of, uh, you know, and like I say, I, I, this has been said so many other places and so many other times, but I do find that those three, three things do help in New Zealand at least when I'm dealing with people who are claiming that um, I just want to abandon animals to their fate Um, I just want to say a little bit more about that because we get very, you know I need to realize, I'm learning more and more you know, like you're always going to have run-ins with people in fact I had a terrible um, I had a day where I had a terrible day and I read somebody's comment and it was so obnoxious the comment, it really was I responded with all capital letters and all, I was like in a really bad mood and I actually, as soon as I wrote the comment and and published it, I realized how wrong it was. I had completely let the site down because I was very impatient and I was very intolerant. So I immediately deleted the comment, but unfortunately the person read it. They had already read it before I could delete it. And in fact, I think it's in an, that when you get it, when you subscribe to Facebook, they send you an email of all the comments. So the email, the comment remains to this day in existence, the one that I deleted. And um, the person has already made up their mind about me, and they think that I'm a terrible person, and they think that I'm really obnoxious and horrible. And I learned a big lesson from that. Um, and it's something I've always said, but, you know, when you're having a bad day, it will come back and bite you. <laughs> so um, really try to be careful about... Um, about these emotional reactions because I had an emotional reaction because the comment getting back to my point the comment was basically a comment that and said you know because we were opposing single issue campaigns we didn't want to help any of the animals that were supposedly the focus of single issue campaigns so it said you know we want to abandon cir- you know we don't care about circus animals we don't care about fur animals we're just going to forget about all of you and we're only going to go for abolition so sorry to all you animals I had a terrible emotional reaction to that. Usually, I'm much more in control because I do always try to keep in the foremost of my mind that it's not about me and you know any detrimental activity on my part is actually unforgivable because it affects the, the non-humans and I'm not the one in the slaughterhouse. But I did lose it and then when I went back and erased it, damage is done. So this person has already made up their mind about me and that's fine. I've realized that there's no point in and trying to defend your character to somebody who's already made up their mind about you, you need to just move on because time is short. But I realize now that when we when we get that comment as abolitionists, it's extremely upsetting to be told 
that you don't care about animals that are suffering now and that you don't care about animals and that you want them to just oh it just just really awful like we're just worried about our politics or our ideals and we don't you know it's all about our egos and our idealism and we want to leave the animals in the cages to prove a point and all these kinds of really horrible things and um I do get um, very upset by that, but then I realized one day, I had an epiphany, I thought, you know what, uh, you know how we complain about how the welfareists get very personal with us, like we'll say something like, this legislature is hurting animals, and they'll write back and say, you're a terrible person, well, they're reacting emotionally to our claim that they're hurting animals, you see, so one thing we all need to realize is whether we, um, you know, whether we agree that the other is doing anything effective or not, which I don't agree that they are, um, they're having these emotional reactions for a reason. And it's because it's the same emotional reaction that they're having when we tell them what they're doing is not helping animals. That to the emotional reaction that we have when they tell us that we just want animals to suffer. Now what they're telling us is a little bit worse because I don't go to them and say, you just want animals to suffer. You don't care about animals. I think that's a pretty hideous claim. But the emotional core of the reaction is still the same. The difference is we have empirical and factual and logical evidence and philosophical evidence that sort of really underlines and substance um, to our argument that of why we're saying these things. And we want to talk about those things. Whereas they don't have that on their side, to be honest. It's quite sad that they don't. It doesn't work. So they come back and attack us personally and say we're terrible people, we're horrible people. And that's where the big sort of um, conflict occurs, I find, between welfareists and abolitionists because they do make it personal. And there is emotional reactions on both sides. It's a matter of handling it. It's a matter of sticking to your um, principles and sticking to the facts. Don't, if you find yourself writing a comment that has a lot of capitals or that you really are in a bad way, the day that I wrote that comment, I was in a really bad day. And actually, I left a comment on Marlene's blog where I was just like being so crazy. And I actually emailed everybody and said, I'm having a really bad day. I need to step away from the computer. And I actually Twittered it. I'm having a really bad day. But I didn't take my own advice. And look what's happened. It's actually come back to haunt me. So, um, I mean, I'm not really worried. I think that my integrity speaks for itself. I immediately, well, I withdrew the comment immediately, but it was too late. So then I apologized and said I had been very hasty, and it doesn't matter. Once a person's made up their mind about you, they've made up their mind. So bottom line is to avoid all that stuff, we always have to be the bigger person. We always have to be the calm. We must always be calm because people are emotional. People will make snap judgments about you, and time gets wasted. Time gets wasted because egos get involved, and it's all about personalities, and it's all about he said, she said, and you said this to me, and you called me this name, and you said I was this, and none of that. None, none, none of that helps them. None of it does. It's a waste of time. We, it's an unforgivable waste of time. And I'm going to do my best to avoid any such time wasting. And one of the things that makes me laugh about people who get very hung up on the whole personality issue, you know, we get called, get called all kinds of names, believe me, myself and my colleagues. And um, 
it's really quite sad because there's a lot of time spent talking about our personalities and very little time spent talking about the issue. As far as I can see, all of my colleagues spend 100% of their time talking about the issue and what helps animals and why this isn't helping animals and let's do vegan advocacy because it helps animals or let's not promote, let's not do a sexist strip tease because it doesn't help animals and instead in return we get there's like debates and comments and backstabbing and stuff about our personalities. So you tell me who, you know, let's just take the focus off off us. And if you don't like what we're saying, tell us why you don't like what we're saying. Not that we're saying it, not that I'm saying it. You don't even know me and I don't even know you. Let's keep the focus on what matters. What matters is the non-human animals that are enslaved and exploited. That's the focus. That should be the focus of every single conversation as an advocate. Now, of course, you know, you need time to breathe. You need time to talk about other things. You need, you know, we need to not, we need to keep our sanity. We need to keep healthy. But I'm saying if you're going to engage with me, about animal issues and you're going to concentrate on my personality and tell me that you don't like me that's an unforgivable waste of both our times and I'm not going to get involved in that anymore and um, I really wish that it would stop um, but I don't know, we'll see what happens it seems to be a sort of a, um, a byproduct of the um, of the um, exposure, of the uselessness of welfare, it seems to mean that you're a horrible person if you dare to question it. And, you know, Gary Francis has been saying this for years, and he's had to deal with it to a terrible extent. Um, I don't know how he manages. I think anybody else would have given up years ago. We are lucky that he is as strong as he is. Okay, so... Um, I just had to get all that off my chest, and um, I just wanted to respond to that to that person. I already wrote back to them, but I've had a couple of people who've asked it to me, and, you know, this is my way of dealing with it. I definitely recommend reading Rain Without Thunder to deal with that question. I definitely re recommend listening to the debate between um, Gary Francione and Eric Marcus to give you some ideas on the practical ways of dealing with that highly emotionally charged question. And um, I hope to have more guests on soon and, you know, keep an eye out for all these great articles that are coming out about animal use. Um, the uh, dialogue is changing and let's keep uh, the message strong. And thanks for listening and I'll be back.